The Behavioral Corner is produced in cooperation with Retreat Behavioral Health, where healing happens. Hi and welcome, I'm Steve Martorano and this is The Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the behavioral corner. Please hang around a while. Hi, everybody. Welcome again to the behavioral corner. It's me, your favorite guy hanging here, um, talking about everything because that's what affects our behavioral health. Everything. We are uh, brought to you with the uh, great cooperation of our partners, Retreat Behavioral Health, about which you will hear a little bit uh, later. So we return to an issue here on the corner that we've, uh, you know, sort of our bread and butter issue. It has to do with the uh, problems associated with substance abuse disorders and mental illness. And I don't need to tell anybody who's familiar with any of this. You'd have to have lived in a cave to not know that both those things remain enormous problems in our society. And in and a part of that problem, and, and perhaps the major part of that problem, is that of the sufferers of these two uh, uh, disorders, people just don't get enough help. It, it's available, apparently. I mean, it is available. I know it's available. But they don't, they don't get it. Uh, and uh, they don't reach a treatment that they desperately need. It's to that end, we've invited our two guests who have dedicated their uh, majority of their professional and adult lives to addressing just that problem. Dr. Alan Kleinschmidt is with us. He is the founder of the organization we're going to be talking about, which is Recovery for America Now. And his uh, co-board uh, member and wife, as a matter of fact, and the Honorable Katie Sullivan, just briefly, their backgrounds, uh, Dr. Kleinschmidt is, among many other things, uh, former deputy director of the White House Office of the National Drug Control policy under the uh, Trump administration. And uh, uh, Katie has a uh, distinguished career. She's now retired judge, but she's had a uh, long career in the law uh, dedicated to making recovery a reality for people. Both are in very long-term successful sobriety. I need a break. Hi, uh, hello, folks. Thanks Thanks for joining us on The Corner. I'll begin with you, Alan. What inspired you to uh, form this foundation? Um, well, <clears throat> most people I'm close with refer to me as art. So, but art. Um, but it's okay. You can just kind of go there. But what inspired me is my own personal story, my own personal journey, and that of my wife. I was actually in the opioid crisis. I mean, I have a long drug and alcohol use history myself, but I have firsthand knowledge, firsthand experience of what the uh, opioid crisis looked like in the early days, because I was sort of very involved with it from the pill mills and everything else. I'm I'm from New Orleans. So at the time that I quit using, I got into recovery, New Orleans was experiencing just an amazing sort of outburst of all these pain management clinics that were just pumping uh, pharmaceutical drugs into the community. So I got sober and then lived in different sober livings, worked in a recovery community. And then I started being, I was a licensed clinician. I became treating people in the uh, uh, treatment uh, centers and multiple levels of care. So when I kind of got from there uh, into Washington, D.C., I was luckily got appointed. Uh, I saw that there's a huge gap of people uh, who aren't getting their needs met, weren't getting uh, the proper type of treatment. And if you look at what's going on right now in today's age, Fentanyl in, in, uh, is one of the leading killers of people who should be in the prime of their lives from like 18 to like 49, 
if I don't have the age graph exactly right, but that group is actually suffering uh, in, in, you know, actually fatalities. And the, the way it's going right now, severe substance uh, use disorder is uh, extremely life-threatening. And then if you add in the powerful fentanyl and fentanyl analogs, you see what we're seeing. Fentanyl is a game changer here. It really uh, was. We'll, we'll get in. We'll get into it a little deeper. Uh, Katie, what about your background? You also had a uh, substance abuse disorder. Is that how you guys met? By the way, did you meet in treatment? Yeah. We did. Oh, so right. yeah, we did. My husband actually had started a uh, was helping a not for profit stand up a, an outpatient program for uh, juveniles, and they had sent a marketing letter out signed by him, Art Kleinschmidt, as a name you kind of remember, and so. Um, I was a judge and as part of the marketing, you know, probably a hundred or more letters went out in our community and I got it at work and thought, wow, this program is really needed. These kids are being overlooked. You know, everyone's just acting like it's juvenile behavior. It's no big deal. And so I set it aside to do a follow-up. And that night Art was the speaker at a speaker meeting that I went to in Carbondale. And so when he came down, look, he's so handsome. He came down and I said, hey, you wrote me a letter. And he said, I wrote a lot of people that letter. So we had lunch about, I don't know, two weeks later and then a date. And then we were married eight months after that. And we've been happily married for 14 years. Kismet. You know, it's fun. I mean, I've had so many situations. I've talked to so many people not specifically with your story, but whose life, while you know, going down a dark path, uh, when they find their way out of that, uh, not only um, becomes a little better, it becomes a lot better. And, and then certainly, you two probably would not have met had you not been on some pretty disastrous journeys early on. So it's so it, 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 a big, it, long it, vacation. And one, and we were kind of laughing about it and just saying, I mean, Art has, we both have over 20 years of sobriety at this point. And, and I said, can you imagine if we were drinking? So alcohol was my, you know, drug of choice, if you will. Mm-hmm. It was just a horrifically loud, obnoxious drunk with a law degree. There's nothing worse. I promise you. But in your, any husband, event, your husband's not disagreeing with that description. But... <laughs> he didn't know me then. Oh, okay. He didn't know me then, <laughs> actually, but he can imagine. Yeah, I, I actually met her at AA. So there you ah, go. Okay. Yeah. But in any event, I think we talked about on this vacation that how different it would be if we were drinking, you know, for not just the money and the expense, but the experience. I said, can you imagine if the two of us were boozing it up on this two beautiful you know, relaxing, meditative weeks that we took as a reset for ourselves and our marriage. And I mean, you know, just unthinkable, unthinkable. Yeah. So, But I mean, it's sort of the great insight that people in uh, successful recovery uh, get to. And each time they express it to me, it's always as though they're saying it for the first time because it's so, so much better than it used to be. So, yeah, I understand that completely. So you formed the foundation because uh, there's treatment available. People aren't getting to it. You guys at the foundation refer to that as uh, the treatment gap. So mm-hmm. let's talk about that, Art. When you talk about that, uh, let's break it down. What What is the gap? How large? And what are some of the uh, barriers to treatment? 
Well, there's actually, you know, a number of barriers to treatment. So we're trying to smooth over at least one of them and smooth over the financial barrier to treatment. Uh, when you look at like Medicaid and that type of assistance, maybe even third-party payers insurance, a lot of times it's not enough treatment so people would actually sort of need to actually to achieve the outcomes that they really want, which is actually a happy, fulfilling life in recovery. So that's in the treatment gap that basically uh, refers to the people with in need of treatment, say people with a severe substance use disorder versus those who are actually receiving services. So generally, it's been about 89% of people who need treatment don't receive it. Uh, now, the numbers start to vary a little bit when you start adding in dual diagnosis of mental illness, severe mental illness, and incorporated with uh, severe uh, substance use disorders. So they, it varies. But when you look at it, the, the gap from people who need services and are getting services is rather stark. And it hasn't really, the needle really hasn't moved. So what we're thinking is we want other, you were just talking about sobriety. We want other people to experience the miracle of sobriety, the miracle of recovery. And so what we're designed to do is try to bring that miracle to as many people as we can. I don't know if you think it's the primary reason people don't get treatment, but it's certainly a uh, major reason, and that's financial. There are other reasons treatment doesn't get to people uh, well, that, go, that go beyond means, right? Like number one, and people don't talk about it as much, people don't always sort of want to quit right away. And that's actually one of the other ones. And the other, uh, they also sort of live in a state of denial. Uh, and I, I think it's sort of harder to get people from point A to point B, from active addiction into treatment while they're still being enabled and supplied with certain drugs. And a lot of what's going on, I, I see right now in the culture, is actually enabling people in promoting uh, addiction as opposed to recovery. But that, that's one of the major ones. But And that's why, I, you know, I think we're uh, trying to work with is a, a little bit better sort of an intervention type of plan to actually help people get from point A to point B. And that's, you know, my wife has worked in the criminal justice system. She designed her own drug court. So we're looking at those sort of methods as well to kind of help people get from point A to point B. Katie, that's a perfect place to pivot to the judicial side of this thing. When I first became aware of how drug courts worked, I thought, well, well, it's about time. And I guess it's a diversion program, right? It's to keep people out of jail and get them into treatment. Uh, tell us how you uh, how you set off on that effort. And to just follow up on the last question a little bit, one of the things I think is is how overwhelming it is for family and friends of those that are you know struggling with a severe substance use disorder. You know, if you type in addiction treatment or substance abuse treatment, I mean, it's just overwhelming. And one of the things that we're trying to do through Recovery for America Now Foundation and our website is to build a community. So you can come to our website in order to see what treatment centers we have partnered with that are receiving our funds that will enable you then to get long-term care, right? So it's also trying to, you know, making this attempt to centralize community. You have family members who are just at a loss on what to do in terms of where can we go to try to get help. And we are providing those services as well. Drug courts are fantastic. I, two years I was on the bench. <clears throat> you know, I was told that I, there were certain mandates in sentencing that people needed to have no alcohol, no drug treatment, or no, no alcohol, no drug probation. They were sent out. <clears throat> You'll go to jail if you drink or use. These people were clearly addicts, uh, alcoholics. They were struggling. 
And I thought, this is absolutely ridiculous. Like, this is ridiculous. You're sending them out to the same DUI class that they've had. This is how it worked in Colorado. Minnesota, for instance, has a much better program where they put people in inpatient treatment at a second or third DUI. So they that's not right. what happened in Colorado. You just go back to the same DUI classes that you took. I had one guy 10 times before, 10 DUIs, and he had taken the same DUI classes 10 times. The only difference was they would have to sit in the classes longer. So they would go through the same book like three times. Okay, this is insane. Understood it was insane. You know, knew about drug courts, understood intervention, did not have a supportive chief judge. He did not want to include rehabilitative courts in our system. So I did a workaround. We called it alcohol intensive supervised probation. I got a probation officer assigned to me, called the defense bar, called the public defender, called the prosecutor. They said, sure, you can give it a shot with some long-term DUI offenders, uh, multiple DUI offenders. So I started with the DUI court. It exploded. We had people from other counties asking to get in. We had other judges were hearing about this, like, can I go to Judge Sullivan's court? I want help. We started to take drug court clients, like more people with drug issues, not DUI issues. It is not recommended. It's not best evidence. Um, but we just thought anyone who needs help, we're going to take them. And we uh, ended up splintering into two courts, which I ran both a drug court and a DUI court, multidisciplinary teams. It's a very different way of looking at judging. You're not just sitting up there in a black robe. I did believe that defendants needed to understand that they were in a criminal court and they stood at the podium. And we had sometimes very lengthy, very in-depth conversations once a week. And then we had a therapist, a defense attorney, a prosecutor, a coordinator, a probation officer, and then a psychologist who joined us for people suffering with severe trauma. And that would start to come up and we would have somewhere to put them uh, send them for some help. So it was really a whole of person approach. We also had a deputy from the jail or the, actually the commander from the jail who sat on our court. So we could see, does this person's behavior change when they go to jail? Are they just acting a particular way in front yeah. of me? It really was a community-based program and it was awesome. We have a 79% graduation rate in one of the toughest programs in the state. I always used to tell them, I love you enough to hold you accountable. Right, right. Make you uh, notice that you're responsible for this behavior. Well, yeah. you know, that's it's amazing what one, you know, one person who sees the problem from a different angle can accomplish. Congratulations. I wonder, Art, where, uh, what your experience working inside the system was like. What did you experience in terms of your deputy directorship that was uh, beneficial to getting people treatment? and was uh, maybe a bureaucratic blockade. Tell me about the inside. Did it help? Does government right. be enough, I yeah, guess, is it, what I mean? 
I would say it helped a lot. I'm very, you know, uh, grateful to have the opportunity to serve. I started off as a senior advisor at SAMHSA, which is a substance abuse mental health services huh? administration. And then I was brought into the White House for Domestic Policy Council. And then I served as deputy director of the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy. So I got to see this thing from multiple facets, a person in recovery, a person who did treatment for a long time, plus inside policy, uh, making shops in the federal government. Uh, I, you know, I would think uh, it, it benefited me a lot to understand how these rules are being manufactured or a lot of the guidelines get issued down. A lot of the people I met, you know, they're all really sort of great people that I, I got to interact with in the federal government. I, I would say like one of the things that, you know, uh, not a lot of them really haven't had uh, a lot of the hands-on experiences actually treating a lot of the treating clients uh, working at a treatment center themselves. But they're all super, like, I'd say very well-intentioned. But, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes uh, things get lost from like a policy perspective and then in reality. So, you know, I know they, you know, a lot on research and then you also got to look at how it actually kind of manifests right. itself in reality. So if you look at a peer-reviewed study and you can kind of look at that, uh, a lot of times that's, that's only like a piece of the story of what they're sort of examining at that moment. It doesn't tell the whole story of what's going on. And, you know, you know, I think uh, MAT and Suboxone is a great tool, but, you know, I've seen it abused so many times of people on my caseload. So, uh, I mean, that's just like one example. I'm not saying it's not a valuable tool, but in and of itself, it's not a holy grail to cure. You know, I mean, it could kind of help people. I, I see it as a tool with a very much of usefulness, but, you know, you, you, I do require like to have monitoring around it and structure around it. Well, we, if we've learned anything about this, that there are many paths to sobriety. And right. when people say to me, hey, Steve, does this work? Or, hey, does that work? And I go, you know, so it works for the people it works for. And that's the only thing, only thing I've learned. Well, that, that's kind of like when I was, you know, a therapist, uh, all, all the treatment plans I made were based on the individual characteristics of that individual person. Mm -hmm. You take their strengths you know, and some of their uh, obstacles or limitations, you start to kind of build upon that. So every person, you have to look at who they are. And then just like Katie just said, from a holistic sort of point of view, you have to see the environment that they're interacting with. You got to see what, you know, what their strengths are, what their core issues are. You start to try to treat those things as, as a whole, and then you build the person hopefully back up. And then yeah. that's really why we started this, because I believe, I used to tell my clients a lot, the rubber hits the road when you leave here. So we were very, when I mean, leave, leave here as treatment, very, you know, strongly held that a recovery community actually needs to be sort of built in, uh, around each sort of treatment center. That's actually something that we really want to see and uh, endorse. Our Kleinschmidt is our guest. He's the founder of the foundation Recovery for America Now and co-board member uh, Katie Sullivan with us talking about that. A couple of things before we talk about uh, an event you're going to be uh, going to in a week or so. You talked about partnering up with treatment facilities. What do you guys look for in a, in a partner in that regard? So they have to meet criteria. I ran the Department of Justice's grant-making division, which was a bureau, the Office of Justice Programs. And, you know, I, here it was, they had one tiny program of $7 billion that I oversaw at DOJ was drug courts. And that was about $75 million. And I saw, at, to Art's point, 
you know, the way that the federal government and best evidence and best practices and things like that, it was going to bureaucracy. It was going to drug court coordinators and, and different bureaucratic, you know, setting up state, you know, things that are important to make sure that drug courts are functioning, you know, state uh, oversight boards and things like that. People need treatment. Like mm-hmm. the number one problem in our court was, you know, people had to pay for treatment I shifted those grants to go toward testing, you know, like UAs in order to assist clients with UAs, with treatment, with things like that, and moved it away from some of the bureaucracy, bureaucratic priorities that were in there. So things like that happen not only through policy, but also through grant making, which is where we also saw a gap. And that's where Recovery for America Now Foundation can step in. What do our treatment centers, you know, the criteria, the criteria is, is that they provide a continuum of care that includes peer recovery, you know, typically known as AA, NA, et cetera. It has to be part of the program. We understand it's not for everyone, but certainly it is a tool that they should be availed of. Um, We need jobs training, educational opportunities. And I think what art can speak to even more is the soft skills. We call them the life skills. You know, there's a lot of people who have come from really dire situations. They haven't been in a grocery store in a long time. You know, they're running to the convenience store to grab something quick, Mm -hmm. you know, when they're off a bender or, you know, clean their house. How do you pay your bills? How do you set up electric? How do you... Uh, interact with people, answer the phone. I'm not trying to make these people sound like they're foolish, but when you come from, you know, such an isolating disease and you're moving back into society, you really need to learn all of those things. And you can do that in the safety of a rehabilitative community. We tell people this all the time when looking for treatment, they have to understand that it's if a facility is telling you that this is a a one and done kind of deal. That's not the right facility because recovery, as you two guys are evidence, is not a thing. It's a process. It's right. involved with lots of stuff over a very long period of time. So right. it's important to look for that stuff. I know that you are partnered up with, coincidentally, my partner, Retreat yes. Behavioral Health. And uh, it's no coincidence. When we talk, we try to get on the same page. As you know, they are among the best out there. Checking all the boxes, Kate. Yeah, they're fabulous. They're they're really good, and I know there's going to be an event <clears throat> on seventh of October, right? Yes, sir. Tell me October about October Yep. So, Retreat Behavioral Health is one of our miracle sponsors, and we're very excited that they are hosting this event. They're on Worth Boulevard, is that right? Yep. Worth mm-hmm. Road in uh, Palm Springs, right outside of Palm Beach, Florida, and they are hosting our event. Uh, We're so excited. We are expecting about 250 people. If any of your listeners are interested, please contact us at info at recoveryforamerica.org. Again, it's info at recoveryforamerica.org. If you're interested in attending, Dr. Drew Pinsky, who became a very good friend of ours over the last five years, he and Art are extremely good friends and are totally on the same page with the recovery. He is the keynote speaker. He will be not only talking on the topic of the need for treatment 
and all of his expertise in this area. He will also be taking questions and answers. And we have a very exciting lineup of different people in the policy and addiction field space that will be speaking through the dinner, just quick, you know, five minutes uh, leading up to Dr. Drew. And this is obviously our big fundraiser for this particular year. Every dollar goes to scholarships to the treatment centers. Uh, we are front, my husband and I are, have been absorbing all the administrative costs to run our not-for-profit. So everyone can be sure that their money will be going to treatment to help people really stay in treatment for the length of time that is diagnosably needed mm -hmm. to get them back on their feet, to get the miracle of recovery. So thank you to Retreat Behavioral Health. We also have another miracle sponsor, Deterra Systems. Deterra Systems sells uh, drug disposal bags that are completely environmentally, not only friendly, but they are totally biodegradable. Other drug disposal bags um, actually leave little kernels yeah. of narcotics in them. So Deterra Systems is just fantastic. It's a great company. And um, they are all in on, you know, understanding the need for treatment. Well, we're uh, we're grateful for your time. Uh, we always want to help out if if you're working with our partners who are good people. We we know that you're good people and your intentions are great. So it's yeah, October seventh. By the way, we will have all the information about uh, recoveryforamerica.org on uh, the Behavioral Corner website, as well as a link to all of the their information about what they do in general and the event on the 7th in West Palm. Art, Katie, thanks so much. Thank you. As, Thank you. Uh, as you continue uh, with this work, we hope you'll uh, be able to join us again. Thank you, Steve. I hope we All see right. you Thank on you. the 7th. Thank well, you. Thank you, guys. Retreat Behavioral Health has proudly been serving the community for over 10 years. Here at Retreat, we believe in the power of connection and quality care. We offer comprehensive, holistic, and compassionate treatment from industry-leading experts. Call 855-802-6600 or visit us at www.retreatbehavioralhealth.com to begin your journey today. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, on the Behavioral Corner.